All right, all right. Welcome here, everybody. Uh, I am so excited to be here with everyone this morning. Uh, this morning, wow, here I am. Um, so <laughs> this evening, um, I've been looking forward to this, uh, you know, ever since uh, 2018. Um, but uh, we're in 2019, and I am so excited to be kicking off uh, our new series, The Problem of God. Uh, it is something that is so, so important to me. Uh, it is something that excites me. It's something that I'm so passionate about, uh, and I believe uh, it's because I believe it's so important for each and every one of us um, to understand some of the complexities uh, and some of the unsettled questions around the existence of God, especially that of the Christian faith. See, well, some of you maybe don't know me. Uh, for those of you who uh, don't, uh, my name is Jonathan Van Leeuwen. Uh, I, I am uh, part of the Dream Team. I, I work here on the prayer team. Um, and I just love being a part of the Ascent, part of this community. Uh, it has meant a great deal for my life. I'm so excited to be here. I'm also a pastor over at uh, Linden Christian School. Um, but this is not how I thought my life would go. This was not my original life plan. You see, uh, throughout high school, uh, I developed a passion for, for mathematics, science, physics, especially biology. Um, and this led me into a career studying biomedical engineering. Um, and so, uh, you know, after graduating from the University of Manitoba, uh, I worked in that for three years. Uh, and three years, uh, that was part of my professional life. And I, I love science. I love it so much. I'm so passionate about it. Um, I love to ask questions about how the way the world works, uh, the human body, genetics, uh, black holes, or quantum physics, though I don't really understand them. They fascinate me. Uh, like, they get me really excited. And so a career in engineering, it really made a lot of sense. Um, and, and so I loved it. I loved studying the classes. I loved exploring how science um, really uh, could allow human beings to have these like, technological advancements. It was so practical. However, I also believe in and love God. I, I believe the words in this ancient text with some of these books over 2,000 years old, and, and the more than, and more that I study the words in this book, the more and more I get excited about it. I get so pumped up about what God has to say in here. I love both science and I love the word of God. And, and this actually created a bit of a, a problem for me. It created a challenge. You see, I remember back in my third year in engineering, you know, I developed some really solid friends. I, I developed a, a good group of friends, but I don't think even one of them was actually a Christian. Um, but we were a really small, tight-knit faculty, and, and so we'd studied together, and we got really close. And, um, but my, my passion for God and the church, it, it wasn't something that I hid. It was something that came out. It was no secret to those around me that I, that I loved Jesus, uh, that I believed uh, this book, um, the whole story, not just that it was like kind of a metaphor for kind of like feeling better, but like the whole story, God's creation, uh, humanity's fall into darkness, uh, the Israelites struggle in their following God, um, God's plan to save the human race, the miraculous birth of fully God, fully man, Jesus, who, who died and, and was resurrected, and the renewal of all things, not just human beings, but all creation. And so I spoke about my faith quite often. Um, it was just something, you know, people would ask me, hey, what are you up to on the weekend? I'd be like, yeah, I'm going to church. And so it was just this easy opportunity to talk about it. Um, and one time while I was studying with a group of my friends, um, this girl, uh, she confronted me, and she said, how is it that you believe that the Bible is true? How can you hold on to these Christian beliefs and think that they're actually true? I said, well, what do you mean? She said, well, well, don't you know, she said, 
that science along with the study of history has disproved Christianity and all of the stories in the Bible as a myth. And I was kind of taken aback and said, well, I don't, I don't think it has. Well, the Bible says that evolution can't be true, but we know from science that we were created from a process of billions and billions of years of matter adapting into life. And don't you believe that the earth is only 6,000 years old? We've proven that to be false so long ago already. And at that time, I, I had a hard time responding to this bombardment of questions, uh, all these things that kind of overwhelmed me. And I didn't think that my faith was inconsistent with modern science. You know, I'd looked into it. I was, you know, I'd studied a lot of science already at that point in my third year of engineering, but I didn't see that there was an issue between science and faith. Evolution didn't seem maybe as probable to me as maybe some people thought it was, but I didn't see how a Christian couldn't believe in it either. I definitely wasn't sold on our origin from like monkeys or apes, but had science really proven that? My mind began to spiral uh, as, as I kind of got overwhelmed. Don't you know, don't you know? And all these questions. Don't you know that the story of Jesus is just a copy of earlier mythology from Egypt like Horus or, or Zeus from Greek mythology? Right? Well, I don't know about that, I said timidly. See, from her point of view, and and if we were to study enough, and maybe this is some of you in the crowd, like if we were to study enough science, history, philosophy, sociology, that if we came to study all of those things, we would come to the conclusion at the end of the study of each of those fields that science had disproven God. That science is about thinking, evidence, and rational justification, and Christianity, or faith in general, was about evading evidence and non-rationality. And, and we here we see the dichotomy that we are all presented, that is pushed upon us, that it is science versus faith, two opposing worldviews that we are taught fight against each other in this pursuit for the truth of the universe and the cause and the purpose of life. Now, it's six years later, and I've continued to study both of my passions, science and theology, the study of who God is. And I still love both. And the further and further that I read and I listen to podcasts and watch videos and, and just research in general, these two passions, I don't actually see that they, they don't only not, only do they not conflict with each other, but they actually push each other forwards. So today in our series, as you may have guessed, we are talking about the problem of science. Uh, it's this huge question. And for some of you tonight, this might be your question. This might be the thing that you're wondering about. Does science disprove God? And maybe some of you are Christian, but you actually, this question is actually really uncomfortable to you because you don't want to ask it because maybe you're afraid that at the end of that question, you might actually find out that it has. Maybe some of you, uh, you know, you do believe that science has disproven God or, or you're not really sure if, if God exists, but you think that it's unlikely. Maybe you are spiritual and you're searching. Maybe you are an atheist, a Muslim, Hindu, or any other religion uh, here tonight. And I'm just so glad that you are here. Welcome here. Uh, I'm so excited that you would, you know, come and spend your, your Sunday evening with us um, and just take a little bit of time to, to understand a bit about what our Christian worldview is. Uh, so yeah, welcome here. Uh, I'm so glad that you're here uh, to each and every one of you. Um, we've got a lot to get through, so I'm just going to uh, get right into it. Um, first off, the fact, unlike that we are told, uh, like when we ask this question, uh, in the history of scientific exploration, humanity itself, um, that science and faith are actually, they've never been enemies. Uh, any disagreement between the institutions of faith and science have been greatly exaggerated to push forward a 17th century enlightenment propaganda 
that wanted to show that we now know better and to trust that there is anything else out there other than the confines of our physical, materialistic reality. And to have faith in a loving creator of the universe would mean to turn our brains off. In reality, this could not be further from the truth. Um, throughout Christian history, find, we find men and women who are pushing forward intellectual thought, like highly regarded intellectual philosopher Alvin Plantinga, or its University of Ox Oxford uh, professor of mathematics and theologian John Lennox, its molecular geneticist and past director of the Human Genome Project, Francis Collins, its Lisa Mittner, who both believed in God and also discovered nuclear fusion. These are not people who didn't appreciate science, but they also believed in God, faith and science are not in conflict as many of us have felt pushed upon us. As, as University of Oxford professor Alistair McGrath concludes, the idea that science and religion are in perpetual conflict is no longer taken seriously by any major historian of science. One of the last remaining bastions of atheism which survives only at the popular level, namely the myth that an atheistic, fact-based science is permanently at war with faith based religion. While there is a trend to view religious people as kind of that, you know, that unintellectual redneck kind of guy in a swamp, um, <laughs> you know, like there's, you know what I'm talking about. Um, <laughs> there's like that they're these great inhibitors of, of scientific endeavor and, and philosophical thought. An honest evaluation of history reveals that that cannot be further from the truth. Science and faith are actually not opposed as we can even see that Christian theism is the thing that actually opened up our society to the present institution that we call modern science, where Christian theology presented a, a universe created by God out of love with order, uniformity. It encouraged actual exploration of the world as God told his people at the beginning of time, hey, you have dominion over this. This is your creation. I want you to explore it, understand it. It actually points towards a scientific like institution more than any other religion of its time, with pantheism and animism claiming God was in the nature and trees and rocks and, and, and water. Scientific advancement, discovery, and exploration was actually inhibited because you couldn't do an experiment on something that was a God. That would be totally inappropriate. Uh, with Buddhism and other mystic religions, uh, they dismissed reality as an illusion. So to do an experiment or to know anything about anything made no sense, and, and scientific endeavor was a, a frivolous pursuit. Polytheistic religions, like you think of uh, Greek uh, philosophy or the, the Greek religions of old, um, they prevented science uh, as um, they understood that everything that happened in the natural world was a process of, of the gods just kind of playing with, with their creation. That a hurricane was just Poseidon just kind of stirring things up in the water, and so that was their answer, right? And so while some other societies have made significant technological advancement, they simply didn't have the philosophical framework uh, to form the formal experimental institution of modern science as we know it. In contrast to other religions like Judaism and Islam, uh, whose primary focus was that of studying and interpreting the law, Christianity and the great theologians of the past like Thomas Aquinas, Augustine, uh, John Calvin, Jonathan Edwards, were not only great thinkers in their day, but they are still considered to be to this date. The scientists of old like Nicholas Copernicus, Johannes Kepler, Blaise Pascal, Isaac Newton, Gregor Mendel, Maxwell Planck, they all were Christians and believed in God. In fact, uh, the university itself was actually a 12th century Christian invention where people could come and gather together 
uh, to, to explore concepts in art and philosophy and sociology and biology and physics, how they would all come together and point towards God. Now we enter into an era with a pushback from 17th century atheism that says that faith has been dismissed as blind belief, where atheism is based off of purely facts, and this is only due to a prior commitment to something called materialism, a view that many scientific atheists hold on to that says that since we cannot prove with the scientific method that anything exists outside of our physical reality, then it simply cannot exist. However, if God is something that were to exist beyond the physical realm that is to be metaphysical, one cannot study his existence or therefore inexistence through any means of physical or natural science. This simply cannot work. You can't study something that isn't physical with a bunch of physical experiments. That doesn't make sense. So moving forward uh, uh, this evening, I, I want each of you to ask yourself, what is it that forms my beliefs and what is it based upon? Are you already pre-committed to a certain set of beliefs, a faith position, so to speak? And if so, is that belief the most valid if you were to examine all the best evidence possible or even a lack thereof? See, one of the most like, common lines of reasoning as to the rejection of the Christian worldview is the scientific theory of evolution. But holding to this uh, as the reason to reject Christianity, many fail to explain how evolution itself actually disproves the existence of God. In the same way, uh, that holding on to the belief in the Big Bang Theory also doesn't disprove God. There are actually Christian scientists who believe both in evolution and the Big Bang Theory. These are both like rational explanations for the origin of the universe, but they don't disprove God. And so, in fact, this is an interesting fact that I found out while studying for this. Edwin Hubble, he's the guy who originally proposed the Big Bang Theory, uh, when he proposed it first to the scientific community, the scientific community actually rejected it, saying that it reeked of religion. See, before the Big Bang Theory existed, uh, the scientific community actually understood that the universe was eternal, that it had no beginning. So to suggest now that the universe had a beginning actually had biblical implications, right? And so that's wild. So we actually think that, like, Science and, and faith are in conflict, but in fact, the scientific community was opposed to the Big Bang Theory because they thought it was too close to the biblical narrative of creation, that there was actually a start, that God created something. So we know that both of these views, evolution, the Big Bang Theory, they don't actually disprove God, yet many Christians actually find that they line up with a Christian interpretation of creation. So that's kind of wild. Um, and so there are many people, and I think that evolution is actually a, actually a valid explanation for, for our origin. However, if that kind of makes you uncomfortable, know that it's, it's not proven without a doubt. Uh, evolution actually is with some holes, quite literally, the gaps in the fossil records, uh, for example. Um, and some of the complex facets of nature are still unexplainable by evolution without an intelligent mind. It seems unlikely uh, that we could develop the complexity for example, of the human eye or human DNA. The major problem with atheistic evolution, now I say atheistic evolution, acknowledging that there are people who believe that God is actually behind evolution, uh, but the main problem with atheistic evolution is that it argues that everything that has evolved and exists in this world 
especially in human beings, like our physical emotions, our, our, our traits are nothing more than what was and continues to be useful for survival, not what is objectively true. And so every chemical in our brain is a result of a process of thousands and thousands of years that are predetermined based off of a process of survival of the fittest, which takes away from our free will and our objective reality altogether. Thus, strict naturalism refutes itself. As philosopher and theologian C.S. Lewis argues, if my mental processes are determined wholly by emotion of atoms in my brain, I have no reason to suppose that my beliefs are true. And hence, I have no reason for supposing my brain to be composed of atoms. Now, that's, that's a Christian philosopher, and so maybe that's an unfair quote to use, but interestingly enough, Darwin himself, the guy who made up the theory of evolution, uh, he admits to this great doubt saying this, within me the horrid doubt always arises whether the convictions of a man's mind which has been developed from the mind of a lower animal are of any value or at all trustworthy. That if one were to hold on to true evolutionary theory, one could not distrust their own thoughts, and thus a commitment uh, could not comment objectively on reality at all, including the advocacy for the scientific method or evolution itself. So that's interesting. Contrary to the original thought that the, as the world moved um, into a scientific uh, you know, population, that religion would decline, religion is still... Um, present across the world in North America. It is still very present. In fact, uh, in viewing a survey of the religious beliefs within the scientific faculties and universities across uh, North America, uh, Professor Richard Wuthnow, he did this survey, says this, while the evidence clearly documents, that the, documents the irreligiosity of scientists themselves, it shows that this irreligiosity is far more pronounced in the least scientific disciplines the social sciences, and the humanities, more so than among the natural scientists. And a closer inspection of the scientific role itself suggests that scientists in these fields may adopt an irreligious stance chiefly to distance themselves from the general public and thereby maintain the precarious reality of the work that they do. The proverbial conflict between science and religion may be more of a function of the precariousness of the scientists or of the science itself than the precariousness of religion. See, and I looked into this study, um, and it actually shows that an atomic physicist is more likely than a psychologist to believe in God. And so when you think about um, you know, who might have some knowledge on, on the existence of the universe and space-time altogether, you don't think of a psychologist, you generally think of an atomic physicist. Um, and that kind of just, that kind of blew my mind. And so um, here's my point. Science, while it's an excellent and valuable and fascinating tool for exploring the natural world, it simply does not come close to disproving God. Not even close. As Harvard professor Stephen Jay Gould, um, he's one of the most celebrated uh, evolutionary biologists, paleontologists, and historian of science. He is also an atheist, but he understood this fact, and he said, nature just is. We cannot... Uh, we cannot use nature for our moral instruction or for answering any question within the magisterium of religion. To say it to my colleagues and for the umpteenth millionth time, science simply cannot, by its legitimate methods, adjudicate the issue of God's possible superintendence of nature. We can neither affirm it 
nor deny it. We simply cannot comment on it as scientists. Wow. And I think that's true. I don't think that science can prove or disprove the existence of God. Not, not in the way that we think it can. But I do think that the most full and accurate understanding of the world and the universe around us must, to, to, to achieve that, we must explore both the phenomena of science and of faith. In fact, the exploration of the natural world is absolutely necessary to develop a better understanding of God. And through nature, once we accept his possibility, we are pointed towards an intelligent creator. In fact, while I understand that um, if one who reject Christianity, if you don't believe that this is true, uh, you would most likely uh, not believe the Bible to be of any use or merit or a valuable resource of information. And, and if that's you, I understand your conflict. I'm not going to try and prove the Bible exists by using uh, scripture uh, or that it's valid. But maybe just bear with me here and, and just listen to what a Christian worldview on science versus faith is. Um, so if you're with me, we're going to actually, we're going to jump into scripture. Uh, so if you have your Bibles, uh, I'd encourage you to open them, open them up. We're going to be in Psalm, uh, we're going to be in Psalm chapter 19. Uh, and so the, the book of the Psalms was actually written by a guy named David. Uh, he, was, uh, he was this man, he was uh, a king of the nation of Israel. Um, he has talked about a lot in scripture. The Jewish people actually uh, hold him in such high regard. Um, and actually in scripture, uh, God calls him a man after God's own heart. So he's this really, he had a really close relationship with God. And he writes this song or this poem uh, about the true way of knowing God. So this is in uh, Psalm 19. We're going to start right from the beginning. We're going to kind of jump around a little bit. Um, but we'll start right in verse 1. This is what it says. Uh, the heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day they pour forth speech. Night after night they reveal knowledge. They have no speech. They use no words. No sound is heard from them. Yet their voice goes out into all the earth their words to the ends of the world. We're just going to fast forward to, to verse 7 here to just show the separate section. Verse 7. The law of the Lord is perfect, refreshing the soul. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. See, when you look at this passage carefully, you'll actually see that there are two separate sections there, and I, I divided it up for your convenience in that way. Um, but there are two separate sections, and there are actually two separate ways of knowing God. The first half is all about nature, creation. The heavens declare the glory of God, it says. And, and they, there's these statements of beauty in the natural world, and it says they speak forth and reveal knowledge that all of creation, all of its complexity and beauty and glory, like, speaks to the wonder and the majesty of God, the creator. The second half, the second piece that I read is all about the word of God, right? It says, uh, and so we call this the Bible, the Jewish people called this the law, uh, or the Torah, the first five books of the Bible. And here David says, the law of the Lord is perfect, refreshing the soul. It gives joy to the heart. It, it, it gives light to the eyes. Through it, we see all things. David is saying there's actually not just one important book, like a lot of us sometimes think, but there's actually two. There's two important books. We, alert, we look at the first passage, and it says, the heavens declare the glory of God. The first book, the book of nature, it shows us that there is a God, an amazing and powerful creator. But the second book, scripture, 
we hear the word of the Lord is perfect. Notice he doesn't use the word God here, but he uses the word the Lord. Now in English, this isn't at all very significant, but in Hebrew, this, this name, this the Lord is actually the personal name for God. This is actually translated as Yahweh. This is God's personal name. And, and so as we read through this, we see that nature is, is actually what tells us, hey, there is a God. This book, though, this book, it tells us who he is. It, it lets us get to know him. It's his personal name that is used in reference in this passage. It's, it's the thing that actually God uses to explain himself to us. It, it gives us joy, encouragement, peace. It tells his story. We find these two profound statements uh, already a thousand, thousands of years ago that we have to acknowledge that there's not only one important book for the Christian faith and all of life, but two, that the book of nature and the book of scripture, they're, they're both revealing God, both allowing us to see him more fully. See, the study of nature, it actually points towards the existence of God, not away from him. The human eye, the minute factors and conditions that actually uh, are in the universe to account for the existence of life altogether, the complexity and the vast size of the human DNA, all of these things, without a designer, they seem highly unlikely. The study of the second book in scripture actually allows us to know who God is, the story of his love for his people, the story of redemption. And, and we can know everything there is. We can study science our whole lives and we can know everything there is to, about the universe, the natural world, but we might miss out on the most important thing, Jesus, a, a God who created us. He wants to know us. And, and many of our questions in life for us, I don't think a lot of us hear that our most important questions are, does evolution disprove God? I don't think about that on a, on a normal basis. Or, or can the human eye have been developed over billions and billions of years of evolution? Or the, the complex nature of how matter came to existence from cosmic dust, I don't think about those questions on a regular basis, but most of us hold our worldview because of some harder questions. Some questions that science doesn't readily like, have an answer to things that have an emotional effect on our lives in real and sometimes terrible ways, like why do I feel lonely? Why do I feel like I'm not good enough? What is my purpose in life? Why is there so much evil in this world? What can I do about it? Why are there things like cancer, famine, war, poverty, rape, and suicide? Our study of science might give us some answers to these questions but they never will relieve us of the pain that they so often cause. So often I don't think that it's truly a question of science that is preventing our belief in God, but we've rejected him maybe for some other reason entirely. And maybe some of you here tonight feel that. I've heard many of these questions. How can a good God let people suffer? Or as your religion says, send people to hell. And we hear you. These are tough questions. We don't want to dismiss these questions. They are hard questions, which is why actually we're going, to be, we're going to be talking about some of these questions later on in our series. We're going to be talking about hell. We're going to be talking about evil and suffering. We're going to be trying to do our best uh, to try and address these hard questions with you. So just keep coming out and, and study these things with us. We'd love to continue to have you here. Um, but when it comes to suffering, when it comes to these questions, I encourage you to ask any Christian, any, any person on the lead team like, um, like Mark or, or Zach or Brittany or um, any, of, any of those people that are wearing a lanyard, just ask them what suffering has meant to them, what they've been through. 
And there's some real stories out there, some tough ones. But my goodness, like we heard from Nathaniel, there's, there's some hard things that we go through in life. But there's some amazing stories about how God gets his people through them because that's just what God does. And so I want to maybe challenge every one of you here tonight who is being a little bit, who is maybe label themselves as a skeptic. Be skeptical of your skepticism. What is the reason that you hold on to the beliefs that you do? Are you just looking, are you looking at all the evidence? Are you rejecting beliefs based off of science or an experience with the church? Because if it's the latter, I, I can understand that. But recognize the basic tenet of the Christian faith is that we all need saving. And man, I, I know that the church, for some of you, maybe you felt pushed out, maybe you felt marginalized or isolated, and, and I, I get that. And I'm so sorry. Um, we, are, we are not always doing our best. We are not always doing a great job at caring for people in the way that Jesus would have wanted us to. Um, but we are all struggling. We want to be better. And, and on the behalf of the church, and, and um, you know, if, if some of you in this crowd tonight have been hurt by the church, man, I am so sorry. Um, I, I want to invite you into a community here. And we hope that we can be better than that. We hope that we can actually like follow the things that Jesus says about love. And, and, and so... If you were in the church, I, I get that. And, and Jesus, he actually says himself, uh, we're all trying to be better. We're trying. Um, and, and Jesus says this in Matthew 9, verse 12 to 13. He says this. It is not those who are healthy who need a physician, but those who are sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire compassion, not sacrifice. For I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Please don't reject God because a human being represented him poorly. We're really bad at it sometimes. Look around you as we see in Psalm 19, it makes this clear that the Bible teaches that science is not the enemy of faith, that, that one way we can see the very nature of God is through what he made, the stars, the moon, the sky, all these things. The Apostle Paul, um, he's this guy, he, he wrote a large section of the New Testament, um, but he was kind of a, a guy, he actually was raised in a faith that maybe some of you experienced, uh, kind of like a church where uh, it was all about the rules. It was all about do this, do this, do this, and don't do this, don't do this, don't do this. So much so to the point where he actually ended up murdering people because he thought that it would make God happy. And he kept doing that all the way up until a, an amazing experience where he had a radical encounter with Jesus and it changed everything for him. It changed his whole life and it, he turned it around. And, and so he was writing to encourage people in the church, the new church that had just been starting up. And he wrote to the people in Rome and in Romans 1 verse 20, he said this, that which is known about God is evident with, within them. For God made it evident to them, for since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, his eternal power, and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood through what has been made so that they are without excuse. All of the glories of creation, all of nature, are all these beautiful things is God preaching at us saying, I want to know you. I want you to know me. Here I am. He wants to know you guys. And, and for the Christians in the room, maybe you've kind of tuned me out because you're like, you know, I don't need all this science. I already believe in God. This is all good. Um, Paul continues, though, and he actually, he actually says something significant here. And I, I think uh, you need to tune back in and listen to what Paul has to say here. Uh, he says, for even though they knew God, so now he's talking about people who actually, they knew that God existed. For even though they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks, but they became futile in their speculation and their foolish heart was darkened. 
See, I think a lot of the reason that some people turn away from the Christian faith is from hypocrisy because sometimes we're not doing a good job. And, and Paul's calling us out. And, and, it, and he's actually saying, like, you know what? Does your faith, does your belief in this actually cause you to honor God? Are you actually living out a Christian faith that loves others, that brings others into the church? Or are you living like a Christian atheist that you actually don't believe what God says in this book? See, Paul knows this, that we're all flawed, and he's encouraging us, you know what, be better, actually represent God well. And, and we all have darkness in our hearts, and every single one of you in this room, like, we, we struggle with this, we feel this, I struggle with this every day. But the awesome thing about Jesus is, it, Jesus, he never stops, he's, he's relentless, he doesn't, he doesn't leave you where you're at. You could be in a stagnant place in your Christian faith and he doesn't want to leave you where you're at. He always wants to move you into somewhere greater, uh, whether or not that's from skepticism into faith or religiosity into a vibrant and active, loving Christian faith that represents God well. God will never stop working on you. You could be 80 years old, you could be 70 years old, and God can still be doing something in your life. Once you decide to follow him, everything changes. Now, before I get too hyped up, I'm already way over time here. Um... But I just want to leave this with you. I found this article. I thought it was really awesome. I thought it was really interesting. It's uh, from Times Magazine in uh, 2006. It was an interview between renowned uh, scientific atheist Richard Dawkins. You've probably heard of him. Um, he's a huge advocate for atheistic philosophy and science. Uh, and, and it's uh, an interview between him interviewing, uh, sorry, a debate between him and Christian molecular biologist Francis Collins. You probably don't know him as well. Uh, he was the director of the Human Genome Project in the United States, so he was mapping out the human DNA. Um, and that's actually what caused him to come to faith, uh, is after seeing all this amazing science around the human genetic code. And so they have this massive debate. Uh, if you wanna view the whole thing, I can give you a link. Come talk to me afterwards. It's, it's actually quite a good read, but I'm just gonna read a little piece of it halfway through. Um, and so we'll start with Francis Collins. This is the Christian guy. Um, so Collins, my God is not improbable to me. Uh, he doesn't need a creation story for himself or to be fine-tuned by something else. God is the answer to all of those how-must-it-have-come-to-be questions. Dawkins, I think that is the mother and the father of all cop-outs. It's an honest scientific quest to discover where the apparent improbability comes from. Now, Dr. Collins says, well, God did it and God needs no explanation so God, because God is outside of all of this. Well, that is an incredible evasion of the responsibility to explain. Scientists don't do that. Scientists say we're working on it, we're struggling to understand. Collins, certainly science should continue to see whether or not we can find evidence for things like multiverses or, or other things like that. And um, there's these theories he was talking about earlier um, that might explain why our universe seems so finely tuned. But I object to the assumption that anything um, that might be outside of nature is to be ruled out of the conversation. That's an impoverished view of the kinds of questions that we humans ask, such as, why am I here? What happens after I die? Is there a God? If you refuse to acknowledge their appropriateness, you end up with a zero probability of God after examining the natural world because it doesn't convince you on a proof basis. But if your mind is open about whether or not God might exist, you can point to aspects of the universe that are consistent with that conclusion. Dawkins. To me, the right approach is to say that we are profoundly ignorant on these matters. We need to work on them, but to say that the, suddenly that the answer is God, it seems to me to close off the discussion. Times Magazine, 
could the answer be God? Dawkins. There could be something incredibly grand and incomprehensible and beyond our present understanding. Collins, that's God. That's God. And if you are sitting here tonight and you are wondering maybe, is there something else out there? Is there something greater than this? That is God. And maybe you have many questions that you still feel are unanswered here tonight, and maybe, but maybe you feel your heart racing inside you right now. Maybe there's an emotion. Maybe your doubts are being outweighed by an internal curiosity, a desire for more, some meaning in your life, something greater than yourself. That is God. And Dawkins was right to say it. He's incredibly grand. He's incomprehensible, and he's beyond our understanding. But this is the thing, he's chosen to reveal himself to us. He, he, he loves us. He wants to be in a relationship with us, guys. He wants to be in a relationship with you. And so if this is you, if you are having these emotions, if you're having these questions, I encourage you to talk to somebody about it tonight. I, I'd love to speak to you, uh, Mark or Brittany or Zach. We'd, we'd love to talk with you. If this is you tonight, I, I just ask you, don't leave this place without talking to somebody. This is so big. These questions are too big for us to struggle through alone. God is so big. He's so, like, I can understand your confusion, but he is so amazing. He's chosen to reveal himself to you tonight. This is your call right here, right now, tonight. And so before we go, I want to pray for you. I want to pray for all of us because sometimes these doubts are a little much, um, and we got to keep working. And if, if, you know, there's any questions you have, we, we want to hear from you. But I want to pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you so much that you gave us this creation. I thank you so much that you, you created a world for us to explore, that all of these things actually speak to your existence, that actually speak to your greatness, God, and how big that you actually are. When we look at the galaxy, that we have all these questions, and you are the answer. You're the answer to all these questions we have, God, that, that there is so much brokenness and pain and, and all this suffering in our world, God, that we, we have to work through all of these hard questions. And yet you are here. God, and I pray for each and every person in this room that you would, you would pull on their heart, that you would actually uh, it just be so present here and now if there's pain that they're going through, that you would be there for them, that there'd be someone in this room that would actually go over and talk to them and, and, and form a relationship because that's what the church is all about. You gave us this amazing church and we just thank you for it. We thank you for this community of these people that love you so much, God, and I just pray that you just be with each and every one of us throughout this week. In your great name we pray these things, Jesus. Amen. All right, guys, let's just stand. We're gonna worship our amazing, powerful creator, God, today and we're just gonna, we're gonna get excited about it. Um, man, I'm so excited. So, Let's worship God together this evening. Thank you, guys.